Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Democracy is at stake, and we have to have alliances of people that strongly disagree on everything but that fact. Inflation's not going to be a problem. Inflation will moderate. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. It would be insanity if the Democrats don't do something on Build Back Better. Pennsylvania, one of the closest states in the 2020 election, will be critical for deciding which party controls the Senate after 2022. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The U.S. military is on the move tonight, mobilizing troops and equipment to stand ground in Eastern Europe. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with no let up in tensions between Russia and the West. We talk about the standoff and the strategy with a true expert, retired four-star general Philip Breedlove, former Supreme Allied Commander Europe and a former F-16 fighter pilot, man who was in the chair when Vladimir Putin invaded Crimea. He'll be with us in just a moment. Later, President Biden's three nominees to the Federal Reserve prepare to sit for confirmation hearings. And hearing strong pushback from Republicans, we'll talk about what's motivating the criticism ahead of tomorrow's hearings with Bloomberg's Michael McKee. The panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, along with us for the hour. They're going to soon be gassing up the C-17s and the troop carriers as the U.S. gives the green light to move more troops to the continent from the U.S., also to push soldiers who are already there further into Eastern Europe. Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby briefed reporters today. The United States will soon move additional forces to Romania, Poland, and Germany. I want to be very clear about something. These are not permanent moves. They are moves designed to respond to the current security environment. Moreover, these forces are not going to fight in Ukraine. They are going to ensure the robust defense of our NATO allies. That's from a briefing a little while ago at the Pentagon. Now, inside this plan, you can read about it on the terminal. About 2,000 soldiers will travel from the U.S. to Europe in the next couple of days, and 1,000 already based in Germany will then be deployed to Romania. Kirby says, by the way, there could be more where these moves came from. Russia criticized the moves, not a surprise. President Biden says it's totally consistent with what he told Putin from the beginning, referring to our commitment to defend NATO, of course. And that is where we start our conversation with the man who led NATO's European operations, retired four-star Air Force General Philip Breedlove, former commander U.S. European Command and former Supreme Allied Commander Europe. He's also a former ace F-16 fighter pilot. General, welcome. You were there when Vladimir Putin invaded Crimea. 
in 2014. Based on what you learned from that experience and what you've watched since, what do you see as the end game here? Well, thanks for having me on your show. Um, yes, the end game is uh, if we tolerate bad behavior or if we allow it to stand, we'll probably see more of it. So I think now is the time to try to break this model that we first saw in Georgia in 08, then we saw in the winter of 13 and 14 and the spring of 14, and now here we are again. We don't want to be here again yeah. in three or four more years when there's more demands. What's your take on the deployments we just talked about, the repositioning as well of troops in Eastern Europe? Is this about projecting power, or does it have strategic significance along the lines of what you're describing? So, uh, first of all, I think it's a good move. For some time now, as we've been approaching this current crisis, we've been in a period of what I would call passive deterrence, where we say, if he invades, then we'll do this. Yeah. If he invades, then we'll do that. And so we are now, I think, moving into a more active deterrence phase where we are beginning to take actions like he does, because Mr. Putin is every day adding to his capability on the border. You were commander of the 3rd Air Force. Help us understand what assets we have at the ready there. I suspect any military incursion would first involve air superiority before ground troops were ever involved. And I know we're getting into hypotheticals here, but General, what's our capability in Europe? Well, you asked me two questions. You want to talk about how the Russians would do this, or do you want to talk about uh, what we have in Europe and how what that means? I'm asking you what we have in Europe right now if we had to use it. So the, the U.S. Air Forces Europe have uh, multiple assets already in Europe. They have strategic lift and tactical lift. They have uh, or fighter aircraft of various types from air defense aircraft, air at, uh, ground attack aircraft, mm -hmm. and suppression of enemy air forces uh, aircraft, and uh, special forces aircraft as well. So basically a slice of the Air Force is forward in Europe uh, and at the ready. What do we need that we don't have now? I saw you testify uh, before the House Armed Services Committee in 2016. We've had some time since then and said the military must rebuild in Europe to face a more aggressive Russia. Have we done that, or have we let this slip away from us? Well, uh, if, if you pay attention to the absolute numbers, our numbers have grown over the past several years because we have moved not permanent, but persistent rotational forces towards Europe. Mm -hmm. And those forces have increased our overall footprint, and those are those are in our frontline states, as you know, fleshing out the, the, the teams in the Baltics and Poland, Romania, et cetera. So we have grown slightly over the past uh, several years forward. And is that along the lines of what you're looking for? I guess I'm asking if, if we have the resources we need, sir. Well, so if you're asking the larger picture, we have, I think, in my opinion, about right – when we're not being threatened. But clearly okay. right now you have uh, Russia, which has more forces on the border of, of uh, Ukraine than the entire United States military has in Europe. So wow. you, you make your own run at that. Well, so let's talk about that. Uh, to your point earlier, we'll spin this around and give me a sense of, you know, we, we hear things like 100,000 troops, 120,000 troops, there's clearly quantity there. How about quality? Do they have resources that present a grave risk to American forces? 
Well, you asked, does it represent a grave risk to American forces? Those forces are arrayed against Ukraine, not American forces. So uh, Ukraine is what we're worried about here. And they are a good set of forces. You've probably heard me talk about Russia has proved that it is a learning and adaptive force. It did not do well in the first part of the war where they invaded and occupied portions of Georgia in 08. They improved on some of the things they got wrong in Georgia when they invaded Ukraine in 13 and 14. And now we're facing uh, a force that has battle-tested men and techniques that they've picked up in Syria. So this is a battle-tested force that is learning and adaptive, and we see that they are better prepared than they were the last time. What would an invasion look like? Well, I don't like that word invasion. There's too many people running around with these large-scale invasion words. What Mr. Putin has on the border of Ukraine is a very formidable force, but for limited objectives. Uh, I've heard people speculating that they're going to invade and take everything east of the Nipper River. There's not enough force there. There is enough force there to move through Belarus and put incredible pressure on Kyiv from very close to Kyiv from the north, staying on the north side of the Belarusian border. There's enough force there to go into the Donbass again. His forces are already there, propping up the, the proxy forces there. But to, to roll across the border with great gusto and all of these uh, armored formations and basically show uh, the Western world that Russia is here and Russia is in charge. You're not here and you're not in charge. And, and then he on- has a significant force in the south that could run along the uh, southern coast to build what we talked about, you know, back in 13 and 14, the mm-hmm. land bridge to Crimea. Why is that important? It would encircle Mariupol, which is an incredibly important po- uh, um, port for uh, Ukraine, and it could retake those or take those water fields north of Crimea, which are so important. You hear the problems that Crimea has with water. So he's built some tools that have some incredible options, yeah. uh, and I didn't cover them all. There are other people who write about as many as seven options, but I think those are the three larger ones. So, and he can accomplish those uh, options if he throws his weight behind it. In that but world, larger, what does the U.S. do? invasion, he's not ready. Do U.S. troops sit in Eastern Europe in a defensive posture if that happens? You, you made the point that Russia's aimed at Ukraine, not the U.S., but if we're if we're deploying in Eastern Europe, is that truly a defensive posture from what you're hearing? That posture is to defend NATO and to ensure or assure our NATO allies. Um, the, uh, both the Secretary General of NATO and the President of the United States have said these are not combat troops being provided for Ukraine. Uh, They are combat troops, some of our very best, but they're there to defend and ensure our allies at Mm -hmm. this point. How concerned are you about a hot war or are we are we speaking in hypotheticals that that we shouldn't be at this point, General? We're talking about sanctions and a lot of different diplomatic solutions tonight as well. Well, uh, I just came from Kiev. I just landed late last night, and and clearly um, uh, everyone understands that there is a capable force sitting on the border. 
If you hear someone tell you that they know what Mr. Putin is thinking, I suggest you hang up your phone or turn off your computer (laughs) because I'm not totally sure Mr. Putin has made his mind up. He's trying to negotiate. He's made some incredibly strident demands, some of those that I absolutely believe he knew would not be accepted. But there is a negotiation that's going on. And Mr. Putin has has a history of building tools and then deciding whether he will or will not use them and how he will use them. So just uh, to leave this thought, I would say he has an incredible capability to accomplish some objectives sitting on that border. And whether he's going to choose to use them or not, I'm not going to speculate. General Philip Reedlove, I appreciate your insights, former NATO Supreme Allied Commander. How about that for starting off the program here with a lot to discuss with the panel next? And we'll have Rick and Jeannie along the way. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis next on Sound On. We'll check markets for you as well. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large-sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, the former NATO Allied Supreme Commander Europe just framed the uncertainty for us. Even Putin himself doesn't know what he's going to do, according to General Breedlove, who just got back from Kiev last night. And a fascinating conversation. Uncertainty in the air as well today at the Pentagon, where Press Secretary John Kirby, as we told you, announced the deployment of troops, a couple thousand troops moving into Eastern Europe. And that's not all he said. Here's Kirby from today again at the Pentagon. We are not ruling out the possibility that there will be other U.S. moves uh, inside Europe. In other words, just like uh, we're moving the striker squadron from uh, from Germany to Romania, 
there could be other movements inside Europe, intra-theater moves, uh, that we would speak to. We're not ruling that out. We're also not ruling out the possibility that additional forces from the United States could deploy to Europe. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis make up the panel. Rick, this reminds me of our conversation a bit yesterday and that the coming weeks could be the most dangerous here. But I also feel like this is more of what you have been calling for, some actual action, moving equipment and leaning into this, not just diplomatically, but from a military standpoint. Is it the right idea? Yeah, all of the above. I mean, uh, this uh, period of time that uh, we're in kind of frozen in time has allowed the U.S. and the West Uh, to really mobilize and uh, sort of get their collective act together. Uh, The U.S. is now, uh, I think, making a very responsible decision to start putting forward troops out there to defend our NATO allies uh, and show a force. And and it does seem that NATO itself and the West, uh, Western European countries that support it, uh, are starting to combine their forces and, 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 and really look like a united front against Russia. So uh, what we didn't have a couple of weeks ago uh, seems to be in the offering now. And I think it will make uh, Vladimir Putin think twice about an incursion at this point. Does it make you nervous at all, Jeannie? Uh, is this beating the drums or exactly what this White House should be projecting? It is what the White House should be projecting, and and the general described it beautifully. It's active deterrence, and it has to be done because, of course, Vladimir Putin has been acting on a daily, if not hourly, basis to ramp up his troops and his military equipment on the border. So NATO, with the United States as part of that, has got to respond to that, and they've got to do it in a way that it deters him from actually entering, um, you know, I know the general doesn't like the word incursion, and I think he's right about, but from taking additional steps. So I do think it is the right move, but I also am struck by how much domestic politics, both in the U.S. and around the world, Germany, France, Italy, Britain, are playing into this. And while there is a unity in NATO, uh, you know, if the troops go in, if Russian troops go in, it is far from as unified as it should be. And that's in our own domestic case as well. So there's a lot of leadership work to be done on getting people on the same page. Germany's new chancellor, uh, Schultz, says he will meet with uh, with Putin soon, was the word used. I don't think this is scheduled yet for talks over tensions. Uh, we're also hearing from uh, the UK, says Boris Johnson and Vladimir Putin have agreed to seek uh, a peaceful solution. Uh, it's interesting to me, Rick, how decentralized all of this is with, with you know various members of, of the alliance meeting separately with Vladimir Putin. Does one lead to a breakthrough or does this all have to be coalesced, you know, through NATO at some point? You know, I I think it's actually a pretty smart uh, decision by uh, Western leaders to uh, divide and conquer. Uh, I think that's what you're seeing in real time right now with the leaders of Germany and France taking a a lead amongst the European countries and 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 President Biden uh, really starting to exert the U.S. muscle in the region. Uh, I think it's smart. I think it keeps uh, Putin uh, talking, uh, which is better than shooting. And and I think that could ultimately lead to, I wouldn't call it a breakthrough, but progress on a diplomatic front, which is always the preference uh, than, uh, than, you know, sort of unleashing the Russian troops on, 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 on the people of the Ukraine. Do you worry about something being lost in all these conversations, uh, Jeannie, when, when NATO is trying to kind of act as a unified body? 
I do worry to a certain extent. I think the conversations are fine. What we are hearing, though, is Macron, for instance, with his uh, conversations with Putin. We haven't gotten a lot of readouts on the content of that. And that is something that's been questioned, and I think rightly so. So I'm fine with the conversations, but you also want to make sure that everybody is on the same page, essentially. And, you know, the United States has been allowing for readouts on our conversations, and Macron should do the same vis-a-vis his conversations with Putin. So I do think there is some work there in terms of the relationship between these allies. Rick, was it right to move troops before we move sanctions? Sure. Uh, I, I'd prefer sanctions and troops at the same time. But okay. uh, but uh, I think this active deterrent, as as the general talked about, is an important uh, element of the overall plan. I think that uh, I wouldn't hesitate on sanctions. I think this idea that you only sanction someone uh, when it's the end, not the beginning of the, right. the problem, is, uh, I think, giving Vladimir Putin too much credit, right? I think the one thing he understands is power and force, and I think sanctions up front uh, start to uh, melt away some of his aggression. How about you, Jeannie? Should, it, should that be followed on as soon as possible here? We're looking at now a deal, U.S., U.K., and the EU finalizing a package that would be imposed only upon invasion. Um, you know, I'm okay with waiting and because, you know, if it is something that we can use to deter him from action, I think that's okay as long as he knows it's in the offing. I think there are smart arguments on both sides of this question about yeah. do you do it now or do you do it in the aftermath? But I think it is important that the idea that the sanctions are out there hanging over his head and can be used as leverage in these conversations is critically important because Putin knows the damage that can be done by any of the sanctions that are being discussed. Rick and Jeannie, sound on. This is Bloomberg. The headlines ahead of tomorrow's Federal Reserve confirmation hearing say it all. This is just a glance at the terminal. Fed's first black female nominee brings new focus, stirs GOP ire. Raskin at Fed would reduce fossil fuels access to money, says Toomey. Toomey, previews, tough questioning for Fed nominees. Raskin, Cook, we got a good taste of it today on balance of power. Let's hear from the top Republican on the Senate Banking Committee, because the idea here is that uh, he's speaking largely for the Republican members on this committee to give us a sense of what we're going to hear. Patrick Toomey describing Sarah Bloom Raskin's specifically views on regulating climate risks as his number one concern. Here's Senator Toomey on balance of power with David Weston. My biggest concern is uh, with Sarah Bloom Raskin, and the the nature of that concern is her longstanding, repeated, explicit, and recent advocacy for the financial regulators generally, and the Fed in particular, to allocate credit, to allocate credit specifically away from fossil fuel burning industries, because she thinks the risk from climate change is is so imminent that that's necessary. No, Tina Smith, Senator Tina Smith, uh, obviously sees this differently, a Democrat. Let's just give you a little, you know, taste of a little contrast here on the other side of the aisle. Remembering that Democrats can do this on their own. Here's Senator Smith today, also on Balance of Power. I had a great opportunity to talk with Sarah Bloom Raskin um, in the last week, and I asked her specifically about how she sees this issue of the Fed and assessing the risks of climate change when it comes to our financial system. And I thought she was so sensible, so reasonable, as she said, how we need to 
understand climate just like we understand other risks we need to look at the tools that the federal reserve has to assess risk across the board and see those tools apply there are different questions though for different nominees and while the climate issue for sarah bloom raskin is clearly something we're going to spend a lot of time on it gets to be a little more abstract with lisa cook questioning her qualifications her resume her approach And that's what we want to talk to Mike McKee about, Bloomberg Economics Editor, who's all over the Fed and is, I'm sure, looking forward to some of this interesting conversation. Tomorrow, Mike, it's it's great to have you. I mean, we should remind ourselves that that Democrats can get this done on their own here, right? That we're going to go through this political exercise tomorrow, the ending notwithstanding. Well, uh, it's not completely clear, Joe, for two reasons. One, We don't know yet how Joe Manchin is going to vote. Now, we don't have any reason to think that he would be opposed specifically to Lisa Cook or to Philip Jefferson, Mm -hmm. but he does come from a coal mining state, and Sarah Raskin has suggested that uh, the uh, fossil fuel companies are not good investments. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he would react. He's not on the banking committee, but yeah. uh, so he won't be questioning tomorrow. But when it comes to a vote and the other problem uh, is that uh, Senator Ben Ray Lujan of New Mexico had a stroke. Yes. right. And uh, he is out for now. And it was pointed out by Jim Lucier at Capital Alpha that Joe Biden had a brain aneurysm when he was approximately the same age. He was 49. Lujan, or ben Ray Lujan's 49. Biden was 46. And he was out of the Senate for nine months. Boy. Uh, we have no prognosis on Lujan, but if the Republicans felt that they could block Raskin and maybe uh, one or two of the others, uh, they might do that if they thought that it would take them up to the point where a new uh, Congress could be elected and perhaps Democrats take over the Senate. Boy, you know, I'll tell you, or Republicans take over the Senate uh, in in your a suggestion there. You mentioned Joe Manchin. It always comes down to the senator from West Virginia. Are, are Republicans trying to peel off any other Democrats? We haven't seen any evidence of that yet. The Republicans seem somewhat united in their opposition yeah. to Raskin, uh, and there's opposition to uh, Lisa Cook. We haven't heard of really anybody who's opposed to Philip Jefferson. He's even gotten some uh, good comments uh, from people like Kevin Hassett, who was the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under Donald Trump. So he may be the safest one. He's done more specifically in terms of monetary policy than uh, Lisa Cook. So uh, they may, the Republicans may let him go through and give the other two a harder time. Wow. Boy, this is going to be a kind of a bizarre uh, conversation with all three here. But great story from Craig Torres, Daniel Flatley on the terminal uh, about Lisa Cook. Uh who, as they write, is not a typical nominee. So this part of the conversation gets to be a little bit different. What is the actual argument, though, Mike, when you talk about somebody not being qualified, where's the list of qualifications that we should be looking at? There is no list of qualifications. It's in the eye of the beholder. And uh, I suspect that the qualification she fails on for Pat Toomey uh, and uh, Kevin Kramer and uh, other Republicans is that uh, she's being nominated by a Democrat. 
so it's an opportunity for them to question uh, a, a nominee and perhaps block her. She's an academic. She hasn't done a lot of monetary policy work. She has done uh, a lot of international economics work, mm-hmm. uh, spent a lot of time studying Russia. Uh, so uh, Senator Toomey today on uh, Balanced Power made the case that she doesn't know enough about monetary policy. And, of course, David Weston noted that uh, Jay Powell didn't need it. He was a lawyer <laughs> and investment right. banker by training, and uh, they were just fine with him because he's a Republican. So I know you, of all people, would be shocked that politics is being played on Capitol Hill. <laughs> exactly. But uh, that seems to be the case here. We don't really know how opposed Republicans are to her. Yeah. And whether they would really try to block her uh, from taking the Fed. But we do oh. remember uh, 2011 That's right. when Senator Richard Shelby blocked Peter Diamond, saying he wasn't qualified to be on well, the Fed. Mike McKee, we're out of time, Mike. Nobel Prize. Bloomberg Economics Editor Mike McKee, thanks for talking with us, Mike. We'll reassemble the panel to hear their thoughts on this next. Sound on. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Of course, we'll have ears on the Federal Reserve confirmation hearings for you tomorrow, and we'll talk about it at this time. It's hard to tell how bumpy this might get, but Republicans on the banking committee are giving us a bit of a sense, like Pat Toomey. And well, I'd love to hear from the panel on this. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. It does seem like they're on the same page here in opposition, certainly to Sarah Bloom Raskin. Lisa Cook's a little bit different here, uh, Rick, but is this going to feel more like a Supreme Court confirmation hearing, you know, with the, with the grandstanding and, and, the, and, and going over time and the tough questions? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be raised to that level. I mean, I just the stakes aren't that high, but yeah. um, 
clearly Republicans have staked out some positions that they want to at least uh, extract an ounce of flesh and maybe even mount a real challenge. Uh, as we've talked in the past, uh, as long as Democrats have the ability to report out a committee, uh, this is kind of a moot case, might require timing because of you know what we've heard about Senator Ben Ray Lujan not being available for a, uh, a floor vote, yeah. uh, at least for the next uh, month or so. So uh, it could delay the process, but uh, at the end of the day, Typically, uh, Fed nominations don't tend to get caught up in too much politics. Yeah. Uh, this may be the exception to that rule, but uh, I think generally speaking, uh, it's just uh, a lot of people like um, Senator Toomey want to extract their ounce of flesh. Sure, right. That, that's why the preamble has really been something here, Jeannie. Do you worry about Democrats like the aforementioned Joe Manchin not being on board? Can Republicans get a few? It, it is a real concern, and I don't think it's any surprise that Pat Toomey's major focus has been on Bloom Raskin, while others in the GOP have been focused on Cook. And, you know, I do think it could be potentially contentious tomorrow. The White House has set up a, you know, a war room, so to speak, to address challenges they seem coming ahead. The Senate banking GOP account on Wednesday morning this morning blocked Cook, said, said Cook had blocked access to her profile and tweets. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, a lot more than we usually see in these kinds of hearings. So I do think there are signs it can get contentious. And I also do think as much as this is partisan, there are real questions that I hope they're able to address, like the Fed's power and roles. I mean, Toomey talks about mission creep. That's a real right. concern that I hope in all of this partisan politics can be addressed. What is the Fed's role? And I, I think it's also important that these nominees get a chance to defend themselves. I think some of particularly um, some of what they've said about Bloom Raskin, for instance, doesn't align. She's not as far out of the mainstream as she's been portrayed. So hopefully they get a chance to make that case. Rick, is Lisa Cook facing criticism because of her philosophy or because of her race? This has come up a lot of times and I, I haven't really gone there yet, but some of the criticism seems to be a bit overwrought. Uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, it'll appear overwrought to people who, you know, maybe um, uh, don't uh, have share her political views. Um, uh, I I would say some of this is processed, too. Right. I mean, um, uh, Lisa Cook did not submit uh, the writings that she indicated she would. Uh, You're supposed to submit all your uh, recent writings to the committee. Mm -hmm. And there were a number of them. Uh, on uh, in one instance on uh, African-American reparations that she had excluded that was only a year old. And so I think people feel like at least the Republicans in the committee might feel like she's just not being responsive, that she's going to blow through the hearing, you you know, and you got to play the game. You've got to get you got to be transparent. Uh, as you were just talking about, Jeannie, uh, you know, you can't like cut off access to information. This is a public asking her questions. It's not an individual senator. And she is responsible to them to divulge any information that she's put in the public domain. Well, we'll be watching this hearing, of course, and and have more for you on it, uh, like I said, at this time tomorrow. We'll see how deeply they go into all of these issues. And of course, you can count on Bloomberg to cover it. I do want to end where we started. That's the deployment of troops in Eastern Europe, because there's been some tough talk about it. Uh, on Capitol Hill. Do you guys, uh, you see this from uh, Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley, Republican critic, of course, of Joe Biden, uh, essentially is criticizing the president for ordering the troops and calling on the White House to block Ukraine from joining NATO, essentially saying it's time to abandon Ukraine uh, on on this fool's errand. Uh, Adam Kinzinger, my God, you should, the, the, these two guys are going back and forth now. He tweeted, I hate to be so personal, but Hawley is one of the worst human beings. 
Uh, Jen Psaki was asked about it today at the White House briefing. Here she is. Well, if you are digesting Russian misinformation and parroting Russian talking points, uh, you are not aligned uh, with uh, long-standing bipartisan American values, which is to stand up for the sovereignty of countries like Ukraine, but others, uh, their right to choose their own alliances, and also to stand against, very clearly, the efforts uh, or attempts or potential attempts by any country to invade and take territory of another country. Uh, that applies to Senator Hawley, but it also applies to uh, others who may be parroting the talking points of Russian propagandist leaders. That's some pretty tough talk, Jeannie. Does, does President Biden face, uh, you know, having partisan exhaustion uh, over this standoff eventually on Capitol Hill? You know, I, I, I loved Josh Hall. I loved Adam Kissinger's statement that you just read because, you know, he says, I hate to be so personal, but and then yeah. he goes right into He's it. One of the worst human beings on the planet. Yeah, one of the worst. And, um, you know, I, I do think when you look at Kissinger, you look at um, Hawley, they represent two sides of the Republican Party that go back many years now. This more, you know, Trump, quote unquote, isolationist growing group. And of course, the more traditional hawkists. And, and that's a real divide in the Republican Party that predates Trump but he certainly has built on it. And we're seeing it echoed in Republican media, as we all know. But let's not forget, you also see some of this isolationist tendency in the Democratic Party as well, particularly amongst progressives. So there is a real concerted conversation to be had, which creates these strange bedfellows between yeah. Republican, more you know, isolationists and progressives. They were cheering when Biden got us out of Afghanistan. They don't want to see us back into Ukraine. And that's a big fear. What is this, uh, Rick? How, how much of a, of a swath of the Republican Party is, is, is Senator Hawley speaking for? Uh, a very minor part. I mean, it's so this sort is of the, the Josh Hawley problem. The, the Trump Hawley, uh, a little bit of Rand Paul appeaser category. Okay. Uh, sure, they're 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 you know they're not hawks. Uh, I would say the grand majority of Republicans in the Senate and and frankly the vast majority in the House, uh, I think share a more globalist point of view uh, that's more traditionally Republican about you know securing the. Uh, 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 the world against uh, oppression that people like Vladimir Putin do. Uh, but look, I mean, you know, it, it is it is a movement in the party. I mean, uh, Donald Trump for four years was an appeaser of Vladimir Putin. And uh, and, and that got to be a popular thing if you wanted to be a buddy of of uh, of of of. Donald Trump. But like, look, even Lindsey Graham, you know, who's back to being a little bit of Lindsey Graham lately yes, and says, oh, that? we need sanctions now. He's back to being a Putin <laughs> foil, um, you know, but uh, but look, I think, you know, uh, Kinsinger called him out on it and I love it. You know, he said these guys are con artists and they're he just sure sort of a suck up to Tucker Carlson, who's sort of the band leader of this odd oh. group of people who are outside the mainstream of the Republican Party. Oh, my God. What a story. As I now see the headline of The Washington Post. Trump calls Senate ally Lindsey Graham a rhino over differences in pardoning January 6 rioters. This goes back to uh, you know, the comment from Lindsey Graham on Sunday morning. Didn't think it was great to be pardoning uh, those who attacked the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, Jeannie, is, is, is Lindsey Graham going to morph into something else all over again? He's persona non grata all over again. <laughs> and, you know, yes. I have to say, I think on this one, Lindsey Graham is on the right side of history here. You don't pardon people who have broken into the Capitol and, you know, not only, you know, a great deal of violence and led to the deaths of people. I don't think that is a bridge too far. But I do think as this conversation continues about the Ukraine, it is important that Republican and Democratic leaders alike explain to the American people what is at stake for 
for the United States and democracy over there. That is important. If you don't explain to people, they do wonder what we're doing over there. And that is something that the president is responsible for, as is Mitch McConnell and Republican yeah. leaders. Rick, if you tell us that Lindsey Graham's golfing with Joe Biden again, we'll know something is going on here, right? Yeah, I would. That's maybe a bridge too far. I don't even know if the president golfs, but uh, uh, look, it's it's it, it, it's the ever changing uh, political perspective of that's Lindsey right. Graham. It's uh, like going to the circus and taking a ride on the roller coaster. So uh, it makes for great theater and uh, for, for for Graham watchers, it's highly entertaining. But the bottom line is, uh, uh, I think the the Republican Party universally. Uh, is aligned with the president, and if anything, wants to push him to a more aggressive posture on these yeah. sanctions. They'd, they'd pass a bill tomorrow if if they could get agreement with Democrats on sanctions immediately for Russia. So uh, I think there's a good partnership that's potentially available to the president if he wants it. That's Rick Davis. She is Jeannie Chanzano. They are the signature panel here on Sound On, Bloomberg Politics contributors, and always a great pleasure. February is Black History Month. And before we say goodbye, we want to hear from Renita Young every day this month, celebrating significant moments in U.S. black history with your installment now, February 2nd, Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in black history in 2009, Eric Holder became the first black attorney general of the United States of America. He was confirmed as the 82nd attorney general of the nation. Then President Barack Obama nominated Holder months before, and he served more than six years as Obama's attorney general. This made him the third longest serving attorney general in U.S. history. Today, Holder advises clients on complex investigations and litigation matters at international law firm Covington and Burling. That's Today in Black History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. Renita, thank you. I look forward to hearing from Renita Young tomorrow at this very same time here on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew, back in the nation's capital. It's been real. It was a great experience at the mothership, but good to be back in the bubble here. We'll rejoin you with the latest on the confirmation hearings tomorrow and, of course, the Russia-Ukraine standoff. On the fastest hour in politics, this is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.